Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, Blood and Bone, Seaweed, Biostimulants, Manure and Feather Meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Good morning. Uh, welcome to The Garden Grows Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's wonderful to have you with us here this Monday morning. Every week, thanks to our friends at Love the Garden and Garden Express, we put this show together so that we can answer your gardening questions. And there's a bit of a common theme coming up uh, from certain parts of the country at the moment. If you're anything like what we're experiencing here in the West, then uh, you will be going through some very, very hot, dry weather. If you're in Sydney, Brisbane, it's the other extreme. You know, very little you know, direct sunlight and huge amounts of rainfall and obviously um, you know, some quite challenging humid conditions. So really important each week when we do this show that uh, when you post your questions that you let us know where you're from. It really helps me answer your questions by understanding what kind of conditions you're currently going through. Now on today's show we will be showing you an amazing plant. I cannot wait. This is an absolute rarity and David Van Berkel from Garden Express will join us. It's one of his signature collections. It is an absolute ripper. You are going to love this. And if you want to get your hands on it, there will be a very limited number of these available directly afterwards. Does your lawn need a bit of a boost at the moment? Well, I'll help you bring it back. I know we talked about it last week, but right at the moment, you have a window of opportunity to really get it growing strongly. So we'll talk about that. And as always, it's all about your gardening questions. So please pop them through. Don't hesitate. They're already flying through from all over the country and I'm looking forward to answering them. Now, just a couple of things. Uh, we do want you to send some videos in, so if you've got a particular problem and you want to video your garden, make sure you send those through and send us photographs. So if there's something that's a bit difficult to identify, um, then please let us know. I'll also have a plant of the week. Sorry, my, my uh, prizes. I shouldn't forget about those each week. We will have some packet seeds for you and, of course, no different today. So young Robin, who is driving the ship, she will be letting our winners know. Um, and, of course, I've got my plant of the week, and I went and picked these this morning, and they're opening before my very eyes and smell exquisite. We'll talk about magnolias a bit later on. All right, let's get into your questions because you are sending them in very, very uh, thick and fast. And um, I think we might have a look at some photographs that have been sent through. So we'll start with uh, Hannah from southeast Victoria. Now, photograph attached. Just wondering what these bug is on your lemon tree. Um, <clears throat> I don't know exactly what that bug is because uh, it's a little difficult for me to identify. But I will say to you that um, I don't think it's a harmful bug. In fact, I think it's a predatory insect. Now, there are some wonderful um, wonderful sites that you can identify insects with. A lot of the departments of primary industry in each of our states now allow you to send photographs into them. Let us do a little bit of research on that particular bug and I'll try and identify exactly what it is for you, Hannah. Um, it does look a little bit on the different side, but I don't believe it's anything that is harmful, so you should be fine. Now, the second photograph Hannah has sent through is a ripper, and this is one that many of you that have got camellias will be able to relate to. So I think Jimmy's going to get it up on screen for us now and you'll see this. So you've got a beautiful dark green camellia growing away. This is a variety called Black Magic. Um, oh, sorry. No, I've mixed up my uh, my photographs. This this is, You can see it on the right there. This is struggling. This is a camellia that's just doing it tough at the moment. 
One thing that's really evident here, um, Hannah, is that you need to be mulching the soil a little bit more thickly around the base. So you only you bought it six months ago. It's looking a bit wilted. Get some sea soil onto this one. Again, I know you say you've put some on, um, but you will need to literally apply some every second day at the moment in Melbourne's weather. The trick with camellias and, and some of those more sensitive trees, things like, say, avocados, is getting them established over the first 12 to 18 months. Once their root system's down, not too bad. They really start to take off. So um, my suggestion to you is that you do keep the sea soil up. That's probably the key at this moment in time. Once we get into the cool weather, won't be a problem. Okay, we're going to stay in Melbourne. In fact, we've got a run of uh, run of questions coming out of Victoria at the moment, so it's lovely to have everybody from Victoria in with us this morning. Uh, Vimita, uh, you have you've come in from Melbourne, so I'm assuming you're in the city. Uh, due to a number of indoor plants, I'm observing a lot of very small insects around. What's the best way to get rid of them? Now, I think the little insects you're probably talking about are what we call fungus gnats. They're a little insect, a uh, little fly and uh, they become very evident. You'll see them buzzing around if you're using a potting mix that has organics in it, and specifically pine bark. They love it. They'll breed in it, and that's why you're seeing volumes of them starting to appear. Now, the control, uh, where well, you can get something uh, that will desiccate the eggs, so it dries them out. So there's a number of products out there, but Yates have a, have a product that does that, um, and it's called fungus gnat control or something along those lines. You'll find it in your local bunning store or garden centre. Um, but you could also use some other things. So diatomaceous earth, just a small amount of that over the, the top of the soil will do the job really well as well. Tyson's back with us. Uh, Tyson, every week you ask us a question about seeds. Um, this week it's, as, uh, can I put bean seeds into my garden bed and can you give me some tips? Uh, bean seeds, absolutely. Now's the time to do it bright sunny position, free draining soil and if you don't have a lot of organics in your soil then it's worthwhile adding maybe a manure like cow manure in, turning it in, making sure it's well composted and wet and then planting to that and your bean seeds will take off and they'll grow like crazy this time of the year Tyson. How about taking a photograph and sending it through to us as they get going? Margaret's in Belgrave in Victoria, staying in Victoria. It's time we head to Adelaide after this. Margaret, You've got a peony rose and it didn't flower this season. Would it be weather or what do you think? I think it's weather. So, Margaret, generally uh, the peonies, um, they require a significant amount of cool weather during the winter. Um, they don't like it extremely hot during the summer. And we, you know, this year in Vic and, and in WA and I think South Australia, we've all had pretty cold winters and then very, very warm summers. And it's just not the perfect environment for peony. So I've got uh, one that's sitting in a very exposed position and one that's in a more protected position. The one in the more protected position is looking okay. The one in the exposed position is just hanging on at the moment. And this is just one of those things, unfortunately. I think that's the challenges that we have. Shiloh is in Adelaide. Hello, Shiloh. Hello, everybody in South Australia. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, why have my kangaroo paws flourished out the front in our new landscape garden? But at the back where it's being done the same they pretty much died. That's a very good question. It probably relates to sun. So kangaroo paws really do prefer to have brightly full, lit, full sun positions. They can handle a little bit of shade. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, I suspect that that's probably what it really is, Shiloh. So my suggestion would be um, a little bit of uh, a little bit of the sea soil again, soaking the ground for them out the back. And then I would wait until probably April and then I'd have a look at maybe moving them into a more brightly lit sunny position. I could be wrong, but I reckon that's the problem. Cheryl is in Queensland. Great to see everybody from Queensland joining us this morning. We see the starting to flow through from Queensland as well. I've got a beautiful frange of penny tree that I've grown from cutting, but I notice the leaves are covered in orange dots like rust. Can it survive and what's the best way to save it? I've noticed new leaves coming out, though, and so far they're fine. Right, so rust, it is actually a fungus, and that rust fungus is probably getting into the older foliage, and you will see the, the pustules, the spore um, areas where literally it's, it's bursting out um, little spores of rust. So what you are going to need to do is treat it, and there are some rust fungicides. It shouldn't affect the new foliage, but the trouble is new foliage won't be, you know, once it gets mature, it'll be more susceptible again. So, Cheryl, um, down to your local garden centre, 
ask them for a fungicide that treats rust. There are a number of them on the market and whatever it is that they've got it within their range will do the job. And it's generally two to three sprays and that'll do the job. Kelly is in Gundagai in New South Wales. Hello, Kelly. We've got a few coming in from New South Wales now too. I inherited three bonsais from my late mum and I've read books, etc. I just don't know how to maintain them or make them look more bonsai. Can you please help? Funny thing about bonsai is that uh, if you let it, it'll grow out of itself and um, it'll start to turn into a small tree. You do need to root prune them. You do need to keep trimming them to shape them. And if you want to get those really twisted, gnarly sort of um, branches coming out, well, you'd be in a situation where you want to use some copper wire and sort of use that to actually shape the tree. It is a real art form, and uh, that's the great thing about it. I think in Japanese, bonsai translates to um, large tree um, in small container or something to that extent. Um, bonsai originally um, sort of developed in China, and um, I'm going to try and expand my screen out if I can. It's Let's see if we go out. There we go. Sorry about that. I'm not sure why that camera does that sometimes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so look, it is an art form. It is something that you do need to go and get some specialised help with. I could try and talk you through it, but to be quite honest, I wouldn't do it justice. Um, uh, they do originate. The best bonsai garden I've ever seen is in South Korea on uh, Jeju Island. And uh, if you want to do a little bit of Googling, uh, pull up Spirit Garden the spirit garden. It is absolutely magnificent. All right, staying in New South Wales, Catherine is in, in Bathurst. Um, does anything work on black spot on roses? I use uh, more than regular routine of eco products and may as well be throwing money into the bin, spray and no involvement at all. I'm not sure what that means, if not worse. Okay, look, you do need to treat them. Um, airflow through them is the first thing. So you need to get airflow. You've obviously, you're in a situation where we've got a wetter than usual summer and we've also got this significant problem um, at the moment with regards to um, humidity in New South Wales. So they're going to struggle. They're going to find it hard. You're going to need to use something that's a little bit more heavy duty and there's a couple of them that you might want to use in rotation. Um, I'm going to suggest to you that uh, probably a combination of Mancozeb and also there is a, a Yates um, black spot killer. And it's a, it's, a, it's a good fungicide. And if you use them in rotation, that's literally one every seven to 10 days, uh, within probably a month, you'll be back on top of it. And you should end up with a really good finish to the year. It really should start to um, work really well. So I would suggest that that's actually what you should be looking at doing for sure. Um, okay, now. Let's uh, let's keep rolling on. We have got questions flowing through from all over the place. Shelley is in the south coast of New South Wales. My tree fern has died and I'm wondering if the monsteria has taken all its nutrients. It's possible, Shelley. Um, tree ferns generally die because they don't get enough moisture and it's more likely that uh, something's sucking up more moisture or it's not getting as much moisture as it was before. So have a look around that. Sometimes they just die. It's just one of those things. Um, I would suggest that you take a good look at it and um, and maybe look at maybe a wetting agent around the soil as well and see whether that's also affected it. But dry soil and tree ferns do not work, and I suspect that's the common connection there. Keith is from Moorbank in New South Wales. We're really getting lots of questions coming through from New South Wales. Fantastic, folks. Remember, when you send through your questions, please do us the favour of sending through where you are from. Um, really important this time of the year. We have got such bizarre, strange weather at the moment um, all over the country and it really does affect the answers and affect your gardens. Keith, your question from Moorbank in New South Wales. A few years ago, I planted a guava tree in the centre of a freshly cut palm stump. Now, it has established itself. Do I break away the old stump or let it be? If it's established itself, it's sending its root system down. I would leave it, I think. I don't think, unless the plant's looking dwarfed um, or, or constricted in its growth, um, I think I would just leave it, mate. I, I wouldn't do anything. I think uh, guavas, once they get established, they're pretty darn hardy and they'll do their own thing. Jane is in Mandra here in Western Australia, south of Perth, beautiful coastal suburb. When's the best time to plant grass seed? Well, it's not right now, Jane. Um, 
I'm going to suggest to you, if you're going to plant grass from seed, that you probably want to be seeding. I'm going to suggest the, the kind of summer we've experienced late March through to the middle of April. If you go with that period of time, it'll have time to establish before we get into the winter. And most of those grass seed varieties are cooler grass varieties anyway, so it'll grow reasonably well through the winter months. Hopefully that helps you. Wow. Have we started off with a uh, with an impressive run of questions. I can't believe it. Speaking of impressive, this bloke has found another one of those impressive plants for his signature collection. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Trevor. How are you going? David Van Berkel from uh, Garden Express. I am exceptionally well, mate. We um, have we remember we did the Caladium from your signature collection. Um, must have been what just prior to Christmas, and um, it was. It's such a collectible item that I've had so many people talking about it, including a couple of my own team members, and I've got a plant in my garden. They have all taken off and are really going well. They love the hot weather. Um, that was a huge success for you guys, but there's something new coming into the collection that you've got with very, very limited numbers, and um, I've got a very special story about this, but I, I thought I'd let you introduce it. I shall. This is uh, Fritillaria imperialis, and mm. I'm so excited about this one, Trevor. As I was with the Caladium, and that uh, that got me into thinking about you know even people like yourself who love your garden and have done for you know forever that uh, that there's something special. And one of the guys is just bringing me the crate here. I just want to show you. This is the sum total of the bulbs that we're going to have this year of this. Wow. Crate. And the whole lot. When you flash it up on a screen in a minute, people will get all excited as well about that. Yes. All right. Well, let's get some photographs up and have a look at this. Now, let me tell you a story, David. I was trekking, I was going on a sabbatical into Nepal, trekking through the valleys at the base of the Himalayas, and I came into this valley, and all I could see ahead of me was these beautiful orange and yellow flowering Fritillaria imperialis. And it just blew me away. It was unbelievable. They are spectacular. And somehow or other, you have managed to get your hands on them. Yeah, look, Australia is just one place where they're, they're a little bit more difficult to grow. And, you know, when you see a product like that, as you did in its native environment, it, it's quite incredible. You know, it's uh, in New Zealand, you get the lupins um, just growing crazily around the place. And, and here we cultivate those. Uh, and, and they're very beautiful, but um, this one's just a little bit. I don't think it likes our hot summers so much, uh, mm -hmm. as, you know, and they like to be freely draining. So there's just some specialty tips about it. But wow, well, I wish I was with you. That that would have been incredible. Yeah. So and, and you've you've kind of hit it on the head. So they they actually love growing in the baser valley. So they don't grow up on the side of the mountains or in the forests. They need to be in a nice open position, ideally getting. Morning sun, but afternoon shade, I think, in Australia. Um, a, a rich soil, but it's got to be free draining, right? So literally the, the water would flow down through the soil and down into the little gullies in the valley, and uh, that's what we were walking along, and they were literally lining the edges of that on anywhere where it was kind of flat and just incredible plants. Yeah, look, and, and, and that free draining is the key, right? And, and some of our, our mountainous and volcanic soils here uh, can be a little bit heavy and, and therefore when the plant isn't growing in its dormant state, you start to get the basal rots and some things like that happening to them. So mm -hmm. um, so that's probably why we've had a little bit of difficulty. Uh, of course, all of the, um, all of the exquisite growers, they've, they've found these mountainous soils in Australia to be very good to, uh, to grow a lot of the tulips and hyacinths and those types of bulbs. Yeah. Uh, it was one such grower who's been, you know, dabbling in this for about 30 years and uh, every time he builds his stocks up, we'd get one of those freaky hot summers or one of his team would put a little bit too much water at the wrong time and yeah. his stock would go equally backwards just as quickly. So, um, so yeah. Big so challenge. Big, big challenge to get it, to get it uh, growing successfully. You look to me like you've probably got 100, maybe 200 bulbs only. So... This is going to be a real collectible, and for those people that want to give it a go, they can now get their hands on it by going online and looking out for Dave's signature collection at gardenexpress.com.au. Exactly, Trevor. You've hit it on the head there. Look out for it. 
beautifully presented. We've uh, we've put some packaging material in there because this bulb likes to be treated with kit gloves. You know, uh, it yeah. doesn't want to be bruised. Um, if you were to drop it on the ground, you would get a bruise that would you know just send it into uh, into some of those problems, um, and and you'll lose the bulb fairly quickly. So it is exquisite. It is a specialty line. And it is amazingly beautiful. Mm, it it's, certainly is. I think one other thing that, that stays with me uh, from the, the times that I saw it was that it was, um, it's got this very distinctive, not unpleasant, musk-like perfume fragrance to it. And it's, it's intense. So one plant would generate a, you know, a significant amount of perfume around a small enclosed area. If you had 20 or 30 of them, It'd be overflowing into the neighbours' places. It's that that beautiful and rich, but it is distinctive. Yeah, absolutely. My only experience with it was at uh, at Kokenhof, um, to see them in the garden in the golds and the reds as well, and you know that yeah. just reinvigorated you know my desire to get hold of some of these. And uh, and Case has been you know just a fantastic. Uh, guy growing these, selling the cut flowers. He's been getting twenty to thirty dollars per stem for for his blooms each year. So another reason why he doesn't want to sell these bulbs uh, for for us to release to people. But you know, getting hold of some this year's just been magic, Trevor. Well, look, I mean, it's a highly collectible thing. I suppose that you you raise a point straight away, and that this is a bulb you can get it growing successfully in your own home garden. You're going to end up with lots of bulblets, you know, coming in the second year. You're going to end up with lots and lots of plants, which uh, very quickly could turn around to being quite a, a reasonable profit maker because they're not they're not cheap. It is an investment, isn't it? It is an investment, and um, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's a challenge, but when when you get it right, you will get those rewards of the little pups coming on. Wouldn't be something that you'd harvest every year, but uh, mm. certainly my suggestion would be to plant it into maybe a thirty centimeter pot and then plant that pot into your garden so you guarantee the drainage, but you also give yourself the ability of pulling it out of the way of the heat in summer, putting it somewhere yep. cool without disturbing it. Um, and then that will help your babies of it to grow. In a couple of years, who knows, you might be having five or six blooms. Absolutely fantastic. David, now um, let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Um, you have got a very limited number. I'm just looking at the details here. $75, that's what you, you're going to pay to be able to get your hands on one of these and be one of the few in Australia to have it. Um, and as I said, there's only limited numbers. So people, they jump online? Jump online at gardenexpress.com.au and Pritillaria imperialis, uh, yep. a bit of a mouthful to say. Um, yeah, part of my signature collection, the second one. Uh, there's a few more coming. Uh, this one... Well, we don't know whether it's going to be available again next year. Hopefully, we're able to, you know, present another couple of hundred next year, but definitely limited stock in 2022. David Van Berkel, you have done it again, mate. Another amazing, stunning garden plant that can go straight into uh, into the gardens now. So place your orders, folks. And, and look, you know, mate, every week we say this, but uh, people – uh, get a little disappointed because there's not huge quantities um, of some of the plants, but let's face it, they're highly collectible. Those hydrangeas just went like that. And uh, and I know there are so many people expressed disappointment, but it is also a, a good inspiration for you to grow more, to get your hands on more, to be able to supply next season. And hopefully with the fritillaria, we'll see some more coming on next season. But in the meantime, people, there's going to be 100, 150 people who are going to be lucky enough to get their hands on these. Absolutely, and uh, by tuning in, they get the first opportunity uh, through you, Trevor, to do that, and it's a real pleasure to um, to be able to present that to people and then come up with a few more uh, interesting things. It's a really exciting bit about gardening, isn't it, when you can get something a little bit exclusive, uh, you know, that you've got that, that not many other people are going to have. Yeah, well, look, you know, I think we'll go quickly back over the important things because this is an investment. You want yourself a ideally a spot that's a cooler location so somewhere in your garden that is a little bit on the cooler side you do want to have moisture there but you don't want too much so free draining soil is critical i think my recommendation is morning sun and afternoon shade ideally david's recommendation of growing them in a pot 
and then putting them into the garden and then being able to bring them back in or put them into a cooler spot during summer is another great way to get around it. And this is your very rare chance to get your hands on another highly collectible plant from Dave's Signature Collection. David Van Burkle, thanks so much for joining us, mate. That's fantastic. Absolute pleasure, Trevor. Uh, to everyone, have a great day. It's um, wonderful. Almost the end of February, March is hitting us. Spring bulbs are starting to uh, become available and fly out the door. And, and, yeah, looking forward to the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show uh, at the end of March. So happy times ahead. Yeah, that's, it's exciting stuff, mate. We're certainly starting to head in the right direction again, which is great. David, well done. Great bulb, folks. Gardenexpress.com.au if you want to get your hands on it um, and, and do it now because uh, they, we, they're dealing with a disappointment is a, is a difficult thing to do. Thanks, mate. We'll see you later. Have a great day. Indeed. See you. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. All right, we have got a lot of questions coming through. I'm just looking at this. Um, they are flowing thick and fast, and thank you for doing that. It's wonderful. Now, uh, let's go to Hobart. Uh, Tassie, Linda has attached a picture. Can you tell me if I need to remove these variegated leaves appearing on my, appearing on my camellias? Well, this is a really interesting one. So you see that variegation there. That's actually caused by a virus. And um, it's, it is quite an odd thing. So you can actually cut that off and you could grow that cutting and there's a chance that you could end up with, it, it won't be consistent, but you'll end up with a variegated camellia. If you were to cut it out, um, it's highly likely that it won't necessarily regrow from that spot, but because it's a virus, it will pop back up on the plant um, at, in certain patches and spots anyway. And the big question is, is it going to do any damage to the plant? Well, the answer is no. So you could just leave it. It doesn't need to be cut off as such. Um, these viruses generally don't set your camellias back too far. And, um, and it's a bit different, isn't it? It's a point of difference. But, yeah, just um, just one of those unusual things. And not un there's probably three, I think, viruses specifically that do target camellias. Um, if you don't want it to move from one plant to another, my advice to you is, never ever prune with secateurs that particular bush and then move on to prune another one because that's the only way you're really going to transfer that virus and it's by movement of sap between one plant and another. Other than that, um, yeah, I'd leave it. I don't think I'd do anything with it, Linda. I think it's it's quite a lovely variation of nature, isn't it, in a way? Hopefully that helps. Uh, Dan is um, in Sydney's eastern suburbs uh, and he's come to us via YouTube. Don't forget... Uh, our YouTube channel is broadcasting this as well as our Facebook. Now, my dwarf apple tree varieties have grown blotches on the leaves and some have curled. It's quite hot lately with sporadic storms. Um, is this likely a heat and water problem or something pest-related? I think it's something pest-related, Dan. I'd love to see a photograph if I could because... I suspect it's one of two things. So, so apples this time of the year, if it's humid, and it, and it is certainly in Sydney, um, apples can suffer from what we call black speck diseases. So they're pseudomonas, so it's actually a disease. Um, and the curling is, is possibly something else altogether. And what I'm suggesting that might be is it's possible that you've got red spider mite, which is, again, pretty common in high humidity. It's very difficult to, um, to tell you 100% because they're both treated quite differently. Um, the black speck will kind of disappear naturally, um, basically when it drops its leaves. You can treat it with copper-based sprays and that'll get rid of that because it is a disease. The, the, the two spider mite, a um, little bit more difficult. So it's a sulfur spray or it is alternatively a horticultural oil spray. Um, that's generally going to take that one out, although not completely. But I'd love to see photos. Don't be scared to send us your photos when you're doing that, Dan. I'm not sure how you do it with YouTube, but I certainly know it can be done easily enough 
as, as a message to us on Facebook. Cindy is in Perth and Cindy has set a photograph. So let's have a look at this photo. Jimmy's had to put his phone down quickly to concentrate again. Um, I'm looking at buying a ficus tree and um, I never had one before. And I was wondering about maintenance, whether I can or should put it in the ground. And you can see there's a ficus that's called ficus benjamina. It's a beautiful plant, often sold as the indoor fig. Downside to the indoor fig is the fact that it probably gets to around about 25 metres tall with about a 35 metre spread when they're mature. Um, and the root system is spectacular. Now, this is a stunning tree, absolutely gorgeous if you've got the room for it. But my suggestion is that you treat it like, a, like a, an indoor plant, and that is basically to, I suppose, get it, um, get it, um, keep it nice and compact because uh, they, they really do grow well in pots. So I would suggest you do that. I think that will help. One trick with them is when they are in pots is to keep them well fed. And now for everybody who's got a, a, a weeping indoor fig tree, which is the common name, Ficus benjamina, um, now is the time to actually be feeding them. So just let you know that one. All right, Laura, we're not sure where you're from, Laura. Your orchid leaves are floppy. What can I do for it, please? Well, this is where a photo really does help and does help if I know where you're from too, Laura. Um, if your orchid is a Phalaenopsis orchid or possibly a Cymbidium, could be that they're getting too much water. So these guys do not want lots of water and the first thing you'll notice when they get too much water is the foliage tends to get very floppy. The same can be said when they don't get enough as well. So the general rule of thumb is a about a 16, 17 centimetre wide pot is going to need about one cup twice a week if you've got a very coarse, free-flowing orchid potting mix. But please send us some photographs, that will help. Marina is from Sydney. Hello, Marina. My mother's lemon tree is crying. Can you help me make it happy again? It has sap oozing. Now, that is a bit of a problem. I'm not quite sure what's caused it, but it sounds to me like you're getting borers into the stem of the tree. Again, if you could send me a photograph, it would help. But a systemic insecticide is going to be the control for this. And I think you want to go and talk to your local garden centre. Get your phone out, take a photo of it, and then head in there, show them the photo, and they'll show you a systemic insecticide that you can use. Um, Marina, this is actually quite a serious problem, and the tree will deteriorate badly if you don't um, get on top of this problem. Greg is from Parkerville. Uh, that's here in Western Australia. We have been growing some Cambodian pepper, um, Piper nigrum, on the veranda at our place. Bit of morning sun and well-lit shade. You're now trying the vanilla orchid as well. Um, wanting to know if it's a similar type of location required. First of all, being able to grow um, black pepper, which is the Cambodian pepper you're referring to, that is amazing. It's not easy, tends to be more of a tropical plant. If you're able to grow it there, Greg, and you're, you're having success, the good news is the vanilla orchid will do incredibly well in the same conditions. So I don't think you need to, to do too much. Vanilla orchid is a, a tropical climbing vine, just so you know, and it is an orchid, and um, it does require a little bit of humidity, but certainly a nice moist soil. So as long as the soil's moist, relatively free draining. Um, you don't want a big chunky mix in this particular instance. You want a proper uh, growing medium and it should do pretty well. So give it a shot. Um, hopefully that helps. Uh, you said you've also been using rainwater instead of scheme water to avoid the chloride. And uh, certainly in the instance of both of those two, that will help, that does help. So great info, Greg, well done. Again, another one where I'd love to see a photograph. Catherine is in Toowoomba in Queensland. We go from Perth to Queensland and Toowoomba. And Catherine, my hydrangeas were absolutely smashed in a hailstorm, look very battered, half dead. Will they survive? What can I do to help them? Actually, a light pruning just at the moment won't hurt them, Catherine. Um, they, the bruising depends on how bad the hail was. If the bruising's on the stems, that might mean you need to actually prune them back down a fair bit. If it's just torn foliage, which I suspect is probably the worst of the damage, the foliage will need to come off and they will need to regrow. So give them a feed is the answer to that. And look, don't go throwing something that's going to feed them too fast. So a controlled release fertiliser, Osmocote, would be a really good one. 
Uh, and I would do Osmocote General at the moment because you really want foliage growth. You don't want it to try and flower again. That should help. I hope it helps anyway. All right. Um, let's, well, you know what? It has been one of those days. We are getting so many questions about lawns. I think I mentioned earlier on that Perth, uh, I think it was yesterday, had its 31st day over 35 degrees consecutively. It's record-breaking. I think we're on track, I think, for 15, 40-plus degree days as well. So this in Perth is the hottest summer ever on record. I think that's the that's where we're at now, and it's we've got a long time to go. You know, March can be really long and hot and dry as well. And lawns really suffer in these conditions. If you're not getting really consistent delivery of moisture, your soil's not been enriched the right way, um, you will find that your, your lawn's probably getting patches. And this will apply to everybody who's in the drier conditions. And those who are in the very wet, moist conditions and, and high humidity, you might actually have other problems where your thatch is starting to cause patches as well. So there's something that you do need to do this time of the year that's vitally important. And that is that it is time to give them a feed. Lawns really do need, they've been growing like crazy, um, but don't give them something that's going to do a fast release. If you do that, you're going to get a lot of growth in these sorts of conditions um, and it tends to be growth upwards and you want it to be growth that way. And growing that way comes from slow, steady growth and that's where you need to feed a slow release fertiliser. So I thought that I would introduce you again, because I think we've talked about it before, to Scott's Lawn Builder Extreme Green. You can see the footage there. Nigel is in fine form. Look at look at that work. He's, he's incredible. And um, the, the big message with this is that this is a controlled release fertiliser. Well, it's actually a slow release fertiliser. It'll release slowly over three months. But it does have a fast action as well. So you get an instant green straight away, but you'll also get that steady growth. This is technology that's been developed for the professional industry and is just having such an amazing impact on the quality of turf grass um, maintenance and, and uh, appearance. So it's pet and child friendly. It won't scorch. So when you put it down, you don't have to wash it in straight away like you would with a fast release fertilizer. And, um, and it does have that nice slow release action. So. If you are wanting to get your lawn to recover from this extreme stress that a lot of lawns have been through, now's the time to do it. And the best way to do it, of course, is to use this kind of fertilizer. I really think it's gonna make such a big difference for you. So it's called Scott's Lawn Builder Extreme Green. You're gonna find it in your local Bunnings Warehouse store, probably good garden centers, I would expect as well. All right, um, I think before we go much further, I might just uh, move from lawns to flowering plants and just talk about this one. Get a load of the beauty of that. Now you can see that wonderful flower just starting to open up. This is one of those evergreen magnolias. Now, magnolias, the evergreen magnolia, magnolia grandiflora, is quite a huge tree. You'll find them growing in southern North America and um, they really become huge, enormous trees, not suitable for all garden varieties. But there was this huge innovation in the late 80s, early 90s, where there were all these new varieties, these more compact forms, these varieties that have got more intense flowers or larger flowers or um, different foliage characteristics. And two of them in my garden that I love, Teddy Bear, uh, which is finished flowering, uh, and this particular one, Little Gem, which flowers early and then flowers again in the mid part of, of summer or mid to late part of summer, only to continue through right up until sort of, I don't know, April, May um, in, in my garden environment. But look at it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it's just heavenly, heavenly fragrant. It really is totally, totally beautiful. Now, Little Gem, it gets, it's meant to, it was originally sort of sold, I think, to probably only get to maybe three to four metres in height. But the truth of the matter is, in my garden, this is a plant that grows quite easily to six metres. But the trick with this one is to literally hedge it off, to keep cutting it back and get it into a certain type of shape. And then it tends to hold that shape. So it's a wonderful informal hedge. If you're looking for a plant to screen your neighbours out, if they put a second story on or something like that, this is the perfect plant to put as a big hedge across your back fence because not only do you get the beautiful, dark, glossy foliage, but underneath that foliage, and I'll show you there, you can see the, the red fine hairs that are under there. 
It's got this wonderful sort of reddish, uh, rustic sort of tinge to the base. And when it's in flower, the perfume, well, it's just going to fill your garden with this wonderful citrusy fragrance. It's very citrusy sort of perfume. So I thought I'd recommend this as one of my plants of the week this uh, this year on uh, on The Garden Guru's Life because it is almost indestructible once it's planted. It's incredibly tough and healthy and it is beautiful, really lovely. Plant of the week, that is Magnolia Little Gem. And you can see her beautiful flowers, which are all opening. And I've just upset everything now because I went and moved and the camera followed us all the way up. Sorry about that. All right, shall we keep rolling along because your questions have not stopped. We have got 19 minutes to go, so get them in. Now, Beverly, you didn't tell me where you're from. How big does the magnolia plant have to be before they flower? Well, interestingly enough, because they're grown from cuttings, that's the, the little gem and um, teddy bear, etc. they tend to be very, very sort of small and compact. And what I mean by that is they can be a plant only a metre or so in height and they'll produce a flower or possibly two. Um, it's not an unusual thing um, to see them flowering quite small. But, of course, once they've got to a couple of metres, they start producing the flowers in very large volumes, and that's a that's a really big thing. So I'm going to say that if it's Magnolia, the evergreen, grandiflora, original variety, it's not until it's a fairly mature tree that you'll start to see it smothered in those white flowers at certain times of the year. Gorgeous plants. Good question. Pictures really help when I'm answering your questions. However, due to the amount of questions that we are getting, if you have a question and a photo to share, please send it in before the show on a Monday. Anything you're sending in to me right at the moment during the show, we will process and, and look at it for you and come back to you next week. So next Monday morning, it should help. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on The Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Um, okay, let's roll on. And Sonia is in Vertican. Using polystyrene foam blocks as a base for raised garden beds. I live in a predominantly humid weather area. I use foam boxes for lilies, aloe, succulents, and they grow well. I find the veggies not so good. They all get morning sun only. Afternoon sun is too harsh. Advice or suggestions greatly received. Now, look, I think um, obviously you've got the lilies, aloes, and succulents all sorted. It's the veggies that you're struggling with. And interestingly enough, veggies will grow quite well in foam boxes. I've seen it uh, many, many times. Um, the morning sun may be your biggest challenge because, um, in actual fact, they do like it to be hot. They just need to have a good moisture supply to them when it is really hot, which may mean that you need to run a bit of a hand watering or some sprinklers to them in the middle of the day. Um, it's a bit of a suggestion anyway, Sonia, because uh, it doesn't really matter what container you grow veggies in. They will grow quite well as long as your soil's good, got you know full sun, you're getting at least eight hours of sun a day and that you've got good enough water. And, of course, always, always, always give them lots of nutrients. They they need to be fed and uh, you've got to feed them with a well-balanced one because if it's well-balanced and you're eating them, your body's getting those benefits as well. Okay, uh, Jody is in Sydney. My pig face plants aren't flowering. Any tips yet? Well, there's certain varieties that won't flower at all during the summer. There's a couple of varieties that will flower pretty well in the autumn, but most of them will flower in the spring, Jody. So they do need to be in full sun. But if the plant's growing and it's strong and healthy, it's going to be springtime when it takes off. Uh, one suggestion, don't go feeding them with a high nitrogen-based fertiliser. That's not a good way to go. All right. Let's go to Berwick in, Berwick in uh, Victoria. That's Leah. Now, I've started to notice some of my grape hyacinth bulbs sprouting. When's the best time to add some compost to the raised garden bed? It'll be about now, I reckon, Leah, because um, you don't want to put too much in, but just a little bit because it will enrich the soil. Um, that is early. That is quite early, I would have thought. Um, I'm not really sure why they would be doing that so early. But um, anyway, look, you know, um, before they, uh, they, they get too established, 
get a little bit of uh, compost in there. That won't hurt them. Um, probably give them a bit of a feed at the moment. That's probably not going to hurt as well. Uh, let's go to WA. We'll go to the south of WA, Albany. Um, Jenny's written in. She's got a custard apple tree. We don't get any fruit. Trees are about 10 years old. Somebody told me ants are the pollinators. They are a very interesting tree. A bit like, um, they're a bit like avocados in that uh, the flowers actually change sex and you need to pollinate them by hand generally. Ants are wonderful because they're so active in the tree for such a long period of time. They move from flower to flower and they do tend to pollinate them. If you are not getting a lot of ants in the tree, you can paint just a little bit of honey on the stem and that will bring the ants in from miles around. Don't put too much, just a very small amount, and then the ants will continue on up into the tree and find the sweetness of the nectar of the flowers, and that should help. Um, Jenny, I would also suggest to you that you do make sure you don't have any irrigation on them about now, right? So your custard apple tree should be coming into flower about now. And if you are feeding, if you're giving it lots of food and lots of water, um, you'll find that the situation with that tree is that it ends up being um, a tree that will put a lot of growth on but not a lot of flower. And if it's not got a lot of flower, you won't get a lot of fruit. Hopefully that helps. Uh, let's stay in WA for a moment. Um, there's a few in WA at the moment. I'm not quite sure. Again, some of you need to make sure you let us know where you are from. Christine, though, is from Sterling. We know Christine. Good morning to you and thank you for joining us and thanks for your best wishes to everybody at Guru Productions. Wish we could get a break from the hot conditions here in Perth. I'm reluctant to do much in the garden apart from watering. I've collected seeds from my crucifix orchid and the seed is very fine. I'm wondering about planting it out and the best time for that is. I reckon it's a month away, Christine, uh, because, yeah, it's, it's a really challenging time and young seedlings, young germinated seeds, they're going to struggle unless you can really control your moisture content um, around those. So I would leave it, uh, you know, generally end of March um, right through the month of April and even the first one or two weeks of May, WA has the best conditions, or certainly the Perth region anyway, the best conditions for growing so many plants. So that's going to be, it's going to be milder, uh, there's less wind, and it is a good time to uh, to be able to, to get out and do it then. So I would suggest you do that. Now, don't forget, if you like what we're doing, the questions we're answering, hit the like button. It really helps spread the word. Um, thanks so much for your, um, for your joining us this morning and, and for doing that. It really does help us a lot. Joanne, we're not sure where you're from. I've had to pot my fruit trees. Will they produce fruit in pots? Leaves have grown, but not the fruit. They're two-year-old. Well, I don't know what type of fruit trees you've got. There's some phenomenal um, variation in fruit trees and what they uh, what they do. What I would suggest, Joanne, is that regardless, generally they will produce fruit um, and you should be okay, um, you know, when they're ready to go. If they're, if they're, for example, deciduous fruit trees, they'll flower in the spring and fruit next summer. But um at two years old, they should be fine. They should do okay as long as you've got some nice big pots with lots of moisture in the soil and uh, keep the food up to them. It won't hurt. Karen is from Perth. She's near the airport. I've noticed a significant drop in the bee population. What could be the reason? Moisture, Karen. Um, this is stressful to all animals, including bees. And you will notice that if you take a tray of um of sand or a little pot of sand and you, you, you put some moisture, seal the bottom of it actually, and let the moisture sit just at the level of the soil, bees will come in and land on top of it and they'll drink like crazy because these hot, dry conditions that we're experiencing in Perth are unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it in all my years on this planet and it presents some really big challenges for a lot of different animals and, um, and, and a water supply is critically important to bees. So that's probably what you are seeing and, and giving them some water will help a little bit. Christy is from Warrnambool in, uh, in Victoria and I'm wondering how I can protect my hydrangeas from this intense weather. Look, putting some, some weather-protecting um, shade cloth over the top um, will, will actually help them in the short term. We just need to get through the next month or so, Christy, and that should be fine, but yeah, a bit of shade cloth won't hurt and uh, probably just to give them a bit of a shot with sea salt at the moment, a bit of seaweed extract will do them the world of good. Helen McRosty is from Narracourt, um, which is southeast of uh, South Australia. My nine-year-old 
espaliered pink lady apple tree is or trees are growing very strongly. They've been pruned summer and winter and throughout the season, but have little or minimal amount of fruit. What can I do to get them more productive? Right, interesting thing. So um, they they produce fruit off the second year wood. So if you're if you're regularly pruning and you're removing that wood, you're going to reduce the crops. Interestingly enough, if they're growing really strongly and they've got lots of nutrient and moisture, um, they'll tend to put more effort into producing uh, growth than they will producing fruit. So backing off the water to the point where they're almost showing signs of stress is not such a bad thing. And certainly backing off fertiliser. The funny thing with apple trees is they don't need to be fed that much. A couple of good feeds with a controlled release fertiliser a year in a home garden environment is all they're going to need. Hopefully that helps. Okay, I'm going to stay in South Australia, just near the Upper York Peninsula, Port Broughton. Um, Margaret's joined us and she's growing a radiator, radiata pine tree, sorry, um, and you're using them around the outside of your property as a windbreak. Great tree for that, that, that purpose. They're a couple of years old, about 1.5 metres tall. Most are glossy dark green, but some are a bit yellow, which is causing what is causing it and how can I fix it? I treat them all the same, so I'm a bit baffled as to why some are doing this. It's probably pH in your soil. So radiata pines, apologies, um, they are an interesting tree. Um, they will grow in quite alkaline soils, but if it gets too alkaline, um, you will see them get some yellowing through them. And if it's really bad, it can actually kill the tree. Go and do a pH test on your soil. I think you're going to find it's it's sitting sort of somewhere around about 8 maybe even higher. And if it is, the trees do have a natural um, ability to acidify the soil through dropping. Um, let's see if we can do this again. Through dropping um, their needles. Let's see, there we go. Oh, um, through dropping their needles, um, and that does acidify the soil, but you may need to supplement the soil around the base of these particular trees, Margaret. And what I would do is I would use a, a sulfur-based fertiliser, um, so something along the lines of sulphate of ammonia or sulphate of potash, not in huge quantities, but just in enough to slowly change the pH of the soil um, through a bit of a chemical adjustment. Hopefully that helps. Leslie, you're in Perth. Um, now, can I recommend deciduous shade trees for your verge with lots of wind? I'm not sure what suburb in Perth you're from. There's lots of great deciduous shade trees, and there's been some really wonderful additions from companies like Fleming's in recent years. So Mop Top, um, not Rubinias, but uh, uh, Mop Top Catalpas are wonderful in Perth's environment. They really do grow quite compact and small. Um, they look great. You could also go for something like Sapium sabiferum. That is the Chinese tallow tree. Loves Perth's dry, warm climate, um, does require extra water to get established, but one of the best um, foliage trees that you'll ever get. They've got gorgeous foliage. And one more I'll throw at you, and there's a huge range of different types, but of course, crepe myrtles. They love um, WA's conditions, so um, great small tree, and some, some can get quite large, actually. So check your varieties, but uh, certainly there's some beauties out there that you can look out for, including those black foliage forms. Jan is in Kalamunda. We're staying in WA at the moment. We've got a couple of questions coming in from the West. I'm losing my woolly bushes. I've dug away the mulch and made a circle um, in the drip system. I've used sole wetting agent, but nothing's working. Now, I'm not sure how big they are, Jan. If you send us a, um, a photograph, that might help. If they're little, it may well just be that the, the ground is just too hot and dry. And, and certainly using sole and wetting agent it's got to help, but moisture is probably the key. If you've had mulch up against the stems, the Albany woolly bush adenanthus does not like it at all, and it can cause um, literally a collar rot and kill them off. But what you would see is you'd see one die and maybe another remain green and then another die and so on. If they're all slowly dying back, it's probably an indication that this long, hot, dry period of time um, is a bit too much for them and they're struggling. So um, it's probably moisture. Send us a photograph, it does help. Um, Kelly's in Collie in WA. Um, just wondering what is the best soil to top dress Augusta Buffalo Lawn? Um, Augusta Buffalo Lawn. Yellow sand 
or soil conditioner. Okay, interestingly enough, if you were going to use, if you had a fine leaf lawn and you were using it for a purpose, lawn bowls, um, golf putting, or something like that, you might top dress it with a with a nice clean sand, not necessarily yellow sand, because that can be very alkaline. Um, but because it's a buffalo lawn, I would actually recommend that you use a what they call a lawn reviver or a, a very fine um, soil conditioner, so finely sift soil conditioner. It's the organics that really do a lot of good in our soil, and particularly if you're if you're in Perth and it's been so hot and dry. And sorry, we're a little Perth centric at the moment because uh, this surviving our hot dry conditions um, that we're experiencing currently is all we can do. Uh, at present, it really is just a case of survival to get our plants through. Now, if we were to do that, um, you were to add that condition to the surface of the soil, it would really help. If you're on a turf farm, they, they actually use, um, uh, and often will use uh, chicken manure and spread that across the top and it will do the job as well. Um, you've let your, your chickens free range in the yard, so it's looking a little bit threadbare, might be time to pull those chickens back in, get a little bit of fertiliser on, and definitely a nice organic soil conditioner or top dressing. Hopefully that helps Kelly. Very complex answer, I'm sorry. Vicky is on the Gold Coast. I can't seem to figure out what's wrong with my 40-year-old double petal hibiscus. I thought it was cholera, so I dug it up and dried it out a few weeks ago. Now it looks dead. I think the same thing's happening to, the new, to one of the new healthy cuttings. All right, well, cholera is a problem and high humidity is when you will see it. Um, interesting thing about hibiscus is they can live for well up, well north of 150 years. I've seen a 100 plus year old one on Norfolk Island, it's just spectacular. Um, they can be really, really good, but they do not like getting collar rots or root rots and high humidity is when it's a problem. If you've dug around the root system and the roots were already suffering and now the plant looks dead, it's highly likely that it has died. Um, when it comes to those healthy cuttings, what I would recommend you do is get yourself something called Yates Anti-Rot. It's a, um, a, a special root rot fungal treatment. You can mix it up in a watering can and drench the plants and it should stop any collar rots or root rots. Hopefully that helps. Carolyn is in Sydney. Um, let's go. I've got a ground cover plant growing under my frangipani. It's got small yellow flowers and a strawberry-like fruit. I didn't plant it and it's spreading widely. Shall I pull it out? Um, is the fruit harmful? I'd love to see a photo, Carolyn. I'm not 100% sure I can answer this. Um, the yellow flowers, I was quite comfortable in taking a, a guess, but um, when you've mentioned this, um, this fruit, it's a bit different. Not sure. Um, we need to come back to you on that. Um, okay, Marie is in Adelaide. Marie, can you give hints on how to have a grass tree survive in my Adelaide garden? Okay, key with grass trees. First thing, Remember, they are a member of the lily family. Believe it or not, that is true. They have a very interesting root system that when damaged, they'll get through and survive. But because it takes such a long time to develop the complexity of the root system, if they dry out, they will really set back. So a lot of people think that they're tough when you keep them dry. Um, as long as you've got free draining soil, keep the soil on the moist side and it'll encourage those roots to grow back. Um, and of course, always have them in full sun. Hopefully that helps Marie. Wow, 9.58. We've got through a lot of questions today. Thank you so much for your questions and for joining us. Really is important. And remember, you know, when you when you like what you see, hit that like button. It really does help us a lot. And uh, we really appreciate you doing that and, and supporting us. Um, we're very sorry if we didn't get to your questions today. I've been flying through them. You can see how fast I've been going. But I really appreciate all of your engagement. It's wonderful to be able to connect this way. Um, we are, uh, I think, we're heading towards uh, the Garden Guru's first episode coming up this Saturday right across Australia on Channel 9. Um, check your local guides. I'm pretty sure that it's 4.30 just about everywhere. But we've got an amazing season. It's a big year for us. It's our 20th anniversary, 20 years ago. We started this program in little old WA just as it was going through drought and soon after drought spread right across the country and we were able to take that good gardening advice and share it with you so that you could keep your gardens looking good. Of course, what we learned through that period of time was 
this wasn't really a drought. This is climate change and we're seeing dramatic variations in our climate. So getting the right advice on how to keep your garden looking good, your plants healthy, it's never been more important. So we feel very, very fortunate to have had the support of Channel 9 and, and obviously our audiences um, to be able to keep bringing this program to you. And we're bringing back Nev again uh, this series. So Nev and I will start with the first episode, which you'll see this weekend. It is a, a really good weekend of great gardening advice. Now, Robin's going to send some messages to us packet seed winners from today's show. You'll be getting your Mr. Fothergill seeds coming through in the mail. And I'll be back next Monday. In fact, I won't be back next Monday. I'm going to be away on Monday, but uh, I'm sure Joe will be joining us next Monday as we do um, another session of The Garden Gurus Live. It, it is 12 uh, p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9 a.m. for WA viewers. Uh, don't forget those video submissions. Send them in to us as early as possible. In fact, your photographs, send them in to us as early as possible, no later than Wednesday because uh, it takes a bit of time to process them and get them ready to put them up so that Jimmy can play them for you and we can all see it together. Remember, always state your name, this suburb, and, of course, the question. And if there are any other questions or maybe you want to do a bit of research, hit um, hit our website. It's a great source of great information or questions. You can go to, of course, our Facebook page. Or if you want to watch programs, head to thegardengurus.tv on our YouTube channel. There's so many. And, of course, if you want to listen back to this one, even easier, all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Audible and you can have a listen back to everything that happened on today's show here. Trevor Cochran, it's great having you join us. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Hopefully you're getting through the heat for those of you that are cooking like I am. Look forward to seeing you again really soon. Happy gardening, everybody. Mm-hmm.